Hello and welcome to the Miko Bits show and I'm your host Miko Bits. Today I have another exciting show for you. Uh, I have Stani from Ave. So we're really looking forward to understanding more about the DeFi revolution from someone who is clearly doing a great job. But before we go there, I just wanted to say this program is opinion only and for only information and entertainment purposes. It is not intended to be investment advice. So seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. And without, uh, just, just before we get into it, a uh, quick message. Before we start, if you're interested in Bitcoin and blockchain, please consider clicking that subscribe button and also click the bell so you can get notifications about future videos that I might post. Thank you. Okay, and now it's uh, Stani. Uh, welcome to the Miko Bits Show. Thanks, Miko, and thanks uh, for having me, me here. It's a, uh, it's it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, fantastic, <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, so uh, first of all, would love to you know for the novice audience, I'm obviously kind of like into it, but uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then about uh, Ave? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I'm the uh, CEO and founder uh, at Aave, and basically Aave is a um, uh, how would I uh, frame it? I would say kind of like a DeFi startup or or DeFi protocol. Yeah. Uh, and we've been working for 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 Aave protocol for a uh, couple of years now, um, and it was previously known as uh, Ethland, Ethereum lending, kind of like the first. Uh, DeFi protocols on Ethereum. Um, yeah, and basically it all started as a community initiative and, and led to a kind of like a, a large uh, money market now on DeFi protocol on Ethereum. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, obviously uh, lately things have been uh, on a very big growth path. So I guess what I'd love to understand yeah. from you is sort of what is really the changes that you've made between ETH, Lend, and Ave, I mean, other than the name, of course. Yeah, I think we got like similar changes applied than uh, basically any kind of like startup that starts uh, very slowly, carefully, uh, being risk aware, and then suddenly uh, kind of uh, starting to understand like how how we get these things to to higher scale. And one of the interesting things that we did is that we. We used to have a order matching market. So basically we connected lenders and borrowers together to, to basically uh, create uh, loan transactions on, on chain. Sure. And basically now our model is is uh, pooling the liquidity together, which seems to be now the, the very common model in, in DeFi. Yeah, so it's really a smart contract, it's locking, it's pooling, and it's essentially anonymous. It's basically, here's the stuff, come and get it. So. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. So much, much more kind of DeFi centric. So uh, I guess to me, uh, I'm I'm very excited about you know uh, what's been happening. Uh, obviously, this space has uh, grown quite a bit. So the thing that I think is extremely interesting that uh, you know I understand is I understand that uh, Lend and Ave are actually very high yielding, but that there's some um, kind of things that you're working on that will 
potentially even make it better. So I, I'd love to kind of hear about what's in the roadmap. You know, what are you planning, especially for people who are interested in uh, yield and yield farming uh, techniques? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think like uh, during the summer, like one of the the, the biggest things that um, the DeFi space started to adopt is, is this so-called yield farming, which basically means that uh, while you are participating in different kinds of protocols, for example, lending protocols or um, automated money markets, uh, such uh, such as well, automated market making, such as balancer protocol. Uh, what's interesting is that you're kind of like at the same time collecting uh, participation incentives, which is usually in the form of tokens. Yes. Now, what's what's interesting for kind of Ave is that we we definitely want to have. A bit of similar path in terms of uh, rewarding liquidity providers for for bringing in their capital uh, and creating the market for borrowers, but for us, what's even more important is is kind of like provide the safetyness uh, for the depositors uh, to deposit. And one of the part things that we are doing in this um, our kind of like a governance and avenomics, which is basically our tokenomics upgrade, is not just incentivize the liquidity providers, but also allow token holders to deposit uh, into a safety module, uh, which basically is used. Uh, and then they're depositing the native uh, token that we have, which is basically used as a kind of like a security deposit uh, for the, the liquidity providers in case there is some sort of uh, shortfall event, such as like smart contract hack, a bug, or um, failed liquidation, kind of what we saw with Maker System having uh, in Black Thursday uh, a few months ago. Yes, and that's the kind of like a thing that we want to uh, try to uh, embrace. That basically, it's not just about uh, getting yield on on uh, your liquidity, but also we we need to somehow provide safetyness, and that's that's kind of one of the things to scale uh, the industry. That's fantastic. So, uh, and you're talking specifically about the Lend token. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so basically, there there is going to be a migration process uh, where we are basically upgrading the technical parts of our smart contract, and there's going to be basically migration uh, from uh, the Lend token to Ave token. But uh, basically, what's what's interesting there is that uh, the kind of like idea is to not just do a technical upgrade, but we're also uh, moving from a governance model where the team has developed software open source software uh for the public and now we're basically shifting the ownership of the protocol to the token holders and that's very crucial on every kind of like a DeFi protocols to follow this path and have clear vision on when when it's going to happen and and what are the steps to move towards decentralization yeah so uh when you talk about uh sort of securing the financialization of the contract under unusual circumstances, it gets close to the idea of uh, insurance. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. like how something like this mechanism would compare to something like Nexus Mutual or you know, what's your perspective on this approach? Yeah, basically I think Nexus Mutual is a good example where you can kind of like buy cover for your deposits. And the, the kind of thing is that uh, Nexus Mutual has a limit on the risk that they can basically bear. Yeah. And what we're kind of doing, like we, you can also take an Nexus Mutual insurance when you're depositing into Aave, which is very, very cool. And basically what we want to do with the uh, Lend token is we want to allow the 
uh, token holders to basically bear risk of the protocol. So they basically taking uh, putting taking kind of like skin on the game, putting skin on the game to um, taking the uh, risk of the the product itself, which is kind of like the same thing as when you're buying uh, any kind of a share of a company or basically participating in some network, you you are actually doing that the, the very same thing because you're kind of like a betting that the products or the services uh, are actually good and, and basically worth of your uh, kind of like a allocation of capital or time or whatever. And what we want to do with the Lent token is we want to kind of uh, reach a level where uh, we allow this kind of like a risk bearing uh, functionality for the token holders, but also uh, with the staking module, we allow some of the token holders to kind of like bear additional risk by staking. So that's kind of like interesting part. And I, I think they're all working together in terms of like uh, what our mechanism will do, it will reduce probably the cost of taking insurance from the mutual, which is very cool. Then it means basically there's less risk involved and the next mutual coverage could be uh, even higher. Uh, so that's very interesting. Uh, I'm personally very excited about what you're describing because I made a short video about this complexity theory model and it's called the self-organized criticality. And essentially the idea behind a self-organized criticality is it basically models like an avalanche, right? And I think obviously, you know, people from colder climates like Finland, you know, they know about snow yeah. and how it piles up and creates a huge avalanche, right? And the question becomes, how can a system that is linear, kind of nonlinear, become more linear, right? And so one of the things that's so interesting becomes this, pro this principle of avalanche control, right? Which enables systems to prevent these larger collapses, right? So one of the mm. things that we saw in 2008 with the collapse of Lehman Brothers was this idea of heavily leveraged debt instruments that had really piled up and had caused this kind of explosion, right? So to me, one of the exciting things about what you're describing uh, is really the advancement of technologies that in some ways relate to insurances, right? That actually help to mitigate these potential kind of Black Thursday style events. So, you know, I think it's quite interesting. Um, I guess uh, other than Nexus Mutual, uh, you know, do you see other projects uh, working on similar ways to sort of create control or more risk mitigation? Yeah, definitely. I, I think one of the coolest things also there is, uh, for example, you could always take options, uh, features as well to kind of like a hitch. And there is kind of like some sort of like credit default swaps you could actually do on chain, yeah. but that's something that hasn't been developed uh, that much. But I think like the, the kind of like the avalanche cascading effect is very important to acknowledge. Like, yeah. Uh, for example, in our protocol, uh, all the deposits are basically over collateralized. So let's say if, yes. if uh, someone brings uh, deposits, let's say 100 USDC, and someone borrows against it, uh, there is basically over collateralization uh, in different levels. And our protocol is basically kind of known for very substantial amount of over collateralization. But the thing is that there is uh, moments where the valuations of those collaterals um, will decrease substantially, like the Black Thursday event. Yes. And what happens is that at that point, you kind of need to have mechanisms to ensure that if something happens, that there's some sort of like a backup plan. And that's like what we are trying to achieve with the staking and the minting facility 
and kind of like the building backstop module to buy any um, kind of like a slashed tokens from the stake or minted tokens out of the market uh, by those depositors. Um, kind of like, and I, I think what's interesting about like uh, the Nexus Mutual is yeah, that basically you just reduced kind of like that exposure and have different kind of risk transfer mechanisms. And I, I think over the time we'll see more and more just involve uh, because like, I, I think we're just so early and the technology is new, the, the, the kind of like uh, assets are new and even like uh, asset classes, if you think like cryptographic assets, but pretty much like the economics apply pretty similarly. And I would see like uh, still that even though we, we, we kind of have uh, this kind of like a challenges, there's so many good things about DeFi, for example, like you have the transparency. Yes. So if you look at 2008, uh, there's exposure everywhere, right? But then you kind of don't know the exposure of the counterparty because like, if there's reporting, it's not that um, kind of like real-time reporting. And also, uh, besides that, it's difficult to say how transparent it is. When in, in DeFi, you basically have all the information auditable by anyone. Yeah, so when you talk about backstopping, the thing that I'm thinking yeah. about is ideally some kind of like relatively stabilized asset that's kind of broadly accepted, yeah. right? So in the, case, in the case of 2008, the backstop was the United States Federal Reserve with quantitative easing, yeah. right? And obviously infinite money printing, right? So this is, you know, one form of backstop. So, but when you're describing a backstop, like to what extent is there a role for something like a stablecoin reserve? And how does that kind of mechanism, because what you're really talking about, for example, is price exposure on ETH, right? So when you think about Black Thursday and what happened with Maker, right? You, there's really, uh, ETH exposure is just one example, right? And obviously the price of the native token is another different exposure, right? And these can experience kind of radical price shocks, right? So historically, over the period of time since 2008, the relative stability of US dollar, you know, has, so US dollar backed stable coins mm -hmm. tend to be used as such a stabilizing mechanism. But the reality, and it's why uh, projects such as Libra have described this idea of a basket, which is actually more common, including things like gold, more common in central banks. Uh, so to me, what the question that I have for you is kind of like, how does Ave think about kind of backstopping and how does it think about baskets and diversification of the reserve, you know, and, and is the reserve kind of uh, intrinsic function, you know, or is it something that Ave thinks of itself as in an active uh, role of? Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, perspective, actually, because I, I think in terms of like stable coins, like you can diversify, there's so many levels of diversification that you need to apply, because there's also like the, 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 the kind of like uh, inside of a network, uh, basically on, on what kind of diversification you want between stable coins, because there's USDC, yes. there's USB, for example, um, then there might be um, through USD. So you have these different stable coins there, and they all have their own inherited like basically smart contract blockchain risk and the sure. underlying network risk as, as, as well yep uh, but then again they're all pegged as you said into us us dollar so one of the interesting parts things we saw like this year and especially like uh thursday but because of the COVID and everything is that basically when the stock market went down uh the crypto market basically followed it and there yep. wasn't uh, how usually it has been seen that basically crypto, especially like Bitcoin, is, is kind of like a, 
safe harbor maybe in this kind of situations, but it basically acted completely uh, opposite. And that's pretty uh, interesting because uh, it is a speculative asset. So it kind of like made sense. And basically when USD is going down on valuations and, and against stronger economies, uh, that's like very problematic uh, thing. And I, I think the, the kind of like, uh, I remember also like basically uh, before uh, kind of like the, the DAI, which is the MakerDAO stablecoin, sure. one of the first versions was to basically take the DAI into basket of currencies. Yes. And one of the things that was difficult was that then it's kind of like easy to measure like what your what what's like the correct value of it because it's easier to be one-on-one to USD and so forth. But I, I, I think it's a big problem uh the kind of fact that we have stable coins in usd but maybe this problem is solved by having stable coins pegged uh to other currencies than usd see and then have like a derivative currencies on top of those that basically have so, some sort of like an average of these stable coins i mean i think that to me there's two layers right because i think that if you look at the monetary system as a whole, uh, you have this laminar system, M0, M1, M2, M3, right? And so to me, the laminar structure could be that you actually are using a stable coin or a principal stable coin, you know, such as a USDC or something that effectively acts as kind of a liquid buffer, right? Against price shocks coming from, you know, uh, Ether or from Lend protocol, these types of tokens, you know, but at the same time, uh, you can actually have a reserve that sits underneath that doesn't require as much instant liquidity, but also is filled with things like uh, gold or filled with things like uh, international currencies, you know, uh, you know, because I think the thing that is unlikely is sort of global systemic shock that kind of like hits everything, right? Like, uh, obviously, if you have gold, you know, then, then, you know, and I, I, having gold is such a strange idea for, you know, a, yeah. a, a DeFi system. But but the, to me, the thing that's fascinating about what you're describing is, you know, effectively, so to what extent do you see this uh, backing function being completely decentralized or do you actually think that there is a centralization of this backing function of, of any sort? Yeah, because uh, in one way, we can always ask like how much decentralization is needed or is sufficient to, to a system or a layer even like we if you don't go to a systemic systemic uh, thinking is that uh, how much you need decentralization for example if we have a brick of gold uh, which is divi divided by 2000 persons globally uh, decentralized geographically <clears throat> and basically uh, there's a system to to basically broadcast that they, they actually own a piece of that gold break basic is that decentralized enough or do we want something more because decentralization is security and security has additional cost yes. and, and basically uh in a similar way this would be an example of of tokenizing the goal but the same result could be achieved if there is a synthetic goal where we just take a price feed of the gold and ensure that something uh in the kind of like smart contract is has enough value that is over the gold and then we create this uh, kind of like a synthetic asset that can be traded. But then you go back again in the very same problem that you are basically backstopping actually not not with gold, but basically with the underlying uh, value. So I, I think like 
there, there has been initiatives and, and, and projects where you, 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 there's gold tokenization, but uh, I, I've never seen idea of actually like, and, and like in a very smart, scalable way where you take something like gold, you over collateralize it and, 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 and basically to, to extend to a dollar or something in between a basket. And, and basically then you kind of have like a uh, interesting safe harbor currency. And this is like something that has been in the USD attached, like attributed to uh, uh, basically 40 years ago. So it's kind of a longer period even. It's kind of interesting that we don't have anything like this, that basically the first, the, the, the very closest things are like tokenized dollars and where you could actually create a quite strong stable coin. But uh, I, I think the also thing is like, somehow people don't mind the volatility that might associate with USD because when USD, like if there's something like a global recession, it basically affects USD, pound, euros, and all the major currencies because trading is quite global, even if it's nominated by USD. It's, it's a very difficult uh, thing to even like uh, uh, process in my head, like how it how it will be like uh, affecting. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the DeFi kind of broader ecosystem, like, you know, off the top of your head, like, you know, what would you consider to be sort of the top five uh, projects other than Ave? So, you know, just trying to get your impression of, you know, and, and obviously it's hard to cut off the list, but, you know, just just yeah. getting an impression from you. Yeah, yeah, I definitely like, I, I like what we're doing, but we haven't been in top five that long. But uh, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of easy to uh, find other projects. I I really like what the uh, the Balancer team is doing with the, the kind of like automated market making uh, facilities. And it's a smart way of actually uh, creating liquidity and pulling it out uh, in a way that uh, basically everyone can have permissionless access um, and a way to create their portfolios and also kind of like get uh, trading fees based on what they're holding in different portfolios. That's like super smart thing. Other stuff I like, uh, yeah, and it's smart because actually like it pulls out liquidity from like centralized exchanges as well. So kind of like uh, we've seen now uh, quite big volumes in, in different exchanges that are are basically something that reminds uh, in, in centralized exchanges in, in Balancer actually. And another project, of course, what I really, in, uh, I'm kind of like interested in is synthetics um, yes. because of the creation of synthetics assets, but also the way they, they kind of like incentivize different behaviors and are not shy of experimenting things with their community. And I really love how, what kind of feedback loop they have with their community. And also, I like, um, of course, I like MakerDAO system with their stablecoin. They have they have been a bit more quiet lately, but yeah. I really like what they're uh, they're working upon. Uh, Set protocol is pretty pretty interesting as well with with uh, creating basically different kinds of uh, basically token portfolios or ETH portfolios and following other traders kind of has this social aspect. I think I think if if it will have enough time, I would probably list like twenty thirty projects. Wow! <laughs> those are like well, maybe maybe I can collect that list from you in email <laughs> and we can put it in the comments. 
Cause yeah, that, that's yeah. that. You know, it's absolutely. Uh, it, it's a very exciting ecosystem. One of the things yeah. that I think is so interesting is that the ecosystem and its incentives, in some ways, kind of inherently mm -hmm. favors smaller shops, right? That the smaller mm -hmm. organization. The two things that are really interesting is that the larger shops have a lower cost of capital, right? But the but the smaller ones actually have a higher opportunity to incentivize their community members behavior right because you can collect mm -hmm. a token that's growing faster right so it's a it's an interesting yeah. you know so it means that the the uh market should be due for like lots and lots of innovation and you know uh, a lot of upstarts uh, you know what what's your perspective on that like now that you're a relatively sizable and established project like what's your perspective on on you know how how i guess dynamic or you could even call it volatile the market is <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I to, to be honest, I really hate to be in this position. Like, I, I, I love the, <laughs> I love the the phase when we were smaller and basically we just we we just were kind of like creating our community, and and trying to get the very first users and also kind of like trying to grow and chase like the the bigger projects and and trying to innovate all the time. <clears throat> I I think that was like um, that was like super super cool. I, I like what in the current position that that basically we we kind of have to be uh, to somewhat careful to understand that other people will follow how we do things and we we will, we want to not to we don't like being smaller is good because you you are not that opinionated or attributed into some sort of like uh, um, opinion or, or stance or something and and I, I think that was like very nice thing and now we we kind of have to. Uh, think a bit like before we are doing something and how things will affect and kind of like uh, there's so much in stake. Um, that's that's very nice and also in a way that kind of like people listens to uh, listen to us more carefully. Yes. But then it's kind of like we innovate slower. Like innovation is very something that it it's running in our bloods and kind of like when you have so much. Uh, value in, in the protocol you basically have to take things slower and because the protocol has grown so big like we 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 have to like move uh i would not say quicker but uh put more importance into the governance and make sure that basically the protocol uh, uh goes to the uh, token holders as as smoothly as possible and basically i mean that's that, that that's kind of like the things that has been now like has has changed as, as we have grown but uh other than that we're, we love what we're doing i mean we we definitely love yeah it's amazing it's amazing so uh does it make you want to launch some kind of a like accelerator or some kind of DeFi like incubator or so, some kind of like projects location right because in a way like you know there's the thing that's so interesting about the space is that, you know, it's so filled with kind of evolution and, you know, people are kind of making quantum leaps, right? Like I would say things like the invention of C token by compound finance. And, you know, there, there are certain moments that, you know, even something as simple as DAI in the creation of the DAI ecosystem and with Maker, like, you know, the, these, there's just moments of evolution that are almost like the evolution of a, uh, cytochrome c or you know these really essential life preserving molecules so you know it's it's these are decisive moments so I, I, are you thinking about creating a lab or creating some kind of like 
you know, more, more, uh, advanced innovation team? Yeah, I, I think like internally, we try to focus in very core things. Like one of the, uh, important things that I noticed like over the years that we have at Ave is basically the know-how. So I, I think what's kind of like, uh, I'm thinking like what, what, what basically is left for us after like the protocol is owned by the, um, the Aave governance and, and the yeah. token holder is basically the ability us to ship, uh, uh, basically good code. And, and that's like, uh, very important and not just code, but the, everything that goes behind the code, the work, the economics, the, uh, engineering back there, then uh, behind the code. So that's like very, um, important, but in terms of like, uh, I think we're always going to focus on the core things, but, uh, we do have like, a uh, ecosystem grant program. So our idea is to basically give grants to projects that are interested in, in building on top of Aave, uh, do some interesting integrations and kind of this way to have this like ecosystem labs that, uh, everyone can build on top of our protocol and, and they're creating this financial primitives or non-financial. It just might be that they're just using Aave and the liquidity, the kind of like DeFi backbone liquidity in their project could be e-commerce or something. So I, I think like we would see ourselves positioning more on, on like letting the community and community developers to kind of come up with new projects and help them in the ecosystem, get people involved. And I, I think that that works uh, quite well because there's so many opportunities and so many room for smart people. So I, I think that 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 is the way to kind of like uh, expand this space. And, I, and, and there's just the fact that we can't build ourselves everything. So that's sure, also sure, sure. So, so one question that's really interesting to me is, uh, you know, earlier you mentioned that uh, on Mondays that ETH prices are higher and, you know, obviously people are coming from the weekend and they're trying to get back into the markets and things. And, you know, so so I guess my question to you is more about kind of platform scalability. Like, you know, how do you see this kind of the ETH, ETH one? And, you know, how do you see sort of, is there is there more scalability headroom for, for this platform or how, how do you see the evolution uh, from a platform perspective. Yeah, this is an interesting one because I, I see that they, with this gas cost is quite tricky um, in terms of like, because our aim is, is somehow um, to different levels to kind of democratize uh, finance. In a way we have achieved it very well, for example, with the eight tokens that for example, if you hold a USDC, you can just basically buy a, a USDC and you hold interest-bearing account uh, because of the balance of the AUSD will increase in your wallet Amazing. wherever you store. So in that way, like we are like helping uh, regions where kind of like uh, crypto dollar savings account makes more sense than the local currency or the local banking system and that you might not trust so much or, or some difficult accessibility. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and I, I think like we were super happy about it because that was the very first thing I I, I was imagining when I when I uh, kind of like uh, started with Eatland and and thinking like we we even kind of like tried to promote it a bit that the idea of creating like global interest rate markets and and something that's not like Libra and it's uh, like decided by uh, five 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 persons in a cafeteria in London. I mean, it's more like democratic and, and, you know, and we, that was like our idea 
Uh, and now that I see that the gas prices are super high and I'm thinking like, okay, well, how do I then serve the, <laughs> the kind of like a smaller uh, depositors? And it's kind of a, a bit of like challenging um, and yet understandable in a way that Ethereum is, is a temporary state where we're moving into a system that will be more scalable. But uh, I, I think it's always important to be uh, uh, network kind of like a blockchain network agnostic. So, so basically um, it makes sense in terms of security even uh, to basically uh, reach out to other protocols and uh, the, net for the, the blockchain protocols and, and try to basically do different kinds of trials and see how it goes. And, and because liquidity should just move from network to another uh, without any uh, big restrictions. And that is what, what creates even more uh, less friction is ecosystem and it, it, it brings like a bit of competition between the uh, networks so I am definitely I think that's uh, something that we're going to do in very near, near future as well yeah I think it makes a ton of sense and it's pretty meaningful actually right because one of the big issues becomes that if you have a significantly fluctuating gas price then what can happen is is that you can have like something that uh, is computationally sort of economic and then it can suddenly become non-economic and then it can suddenly become economic. And the thing that I think it's tolerable mm -hmm. is, is that if that is based on not the if it's based on the application, right? Like, for example, you know, obviously, if it's trading or something of the sort, then obviously, if Bitcoin mm -hmm. gets low, then you buy. And if it gets high, then you sell, you know, so like those kinds of functions are very logical. But the thing that's really less logical is when the infrastructure itself governs when a transaction is economic, right? So then, then all of a sudden, you have this very funny feeling, and, and it actually doesn't, it doesn't work yeah. that well. So in terms of like, uh, infrastructure platforms, obviously ETH 2.0 uh, is, you know, uh, phase zero is kind of like being tested right now, but, you know, it doesn't actually have any compute framework, right? So it's it's going to be quite a while before we actually see a viable ETH 2.0 for DeFi. So, you know, what other platforms would you suggest might be viable? Uh, I mean, are you, are, what are your candidates for exploration and, and trying, uh, you know, uh, new new DeFi-based infrastructure platforms? Yeah, I think we're looking quite a lot into uh, Polkadot. That is basically okay. um, one of the interesting ones. Cosmos is quite interesting for us as well. Yep. And we recently ha have been engaged with Near Protocol. That is also kind of like an interesting thing. <clears throat> we're quite early in terms of like uh, cross-chain uh, stuff, but uh, it's, it's something that we are researching quite heavily. And I, I think it's uh quite quite interesting like also like the player two solutions and side chains like there's there's much of like things that could be done like the, the the positive thing is that we don't have like trading so kind of like the 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 uh actions are limited to to deposit withdraw basically borrow so not many actions if you're doing like uh, average, average transactions you might deposit once as a regular user withdraw maybe after six months and, and so forth. That's like regular behavior. But then we have also like DeFi super users that basically deposit and withdraw on a daily basis in large amounts and kind of like uh, in some of the amounts, the gas eats quite a uh, hefty amount of the, the um, well, that's basically transaction costs. And I, I really think that it's, it's, it shouldn't be this way. We, we do have similar situations in 
in traditional world where uh, where basically uh, kind of like um, infrastructure level things are volatile, such as for example oil. So it, it affects almost uh, every product on the market uh, one way or another. It's and, like and a that's literal kind of... literal gas prices. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and that's uh, problematic and and kind of like the difference between, of course, oil is is in one way that uh, there is kind of like a cartel as well at the same time, and and then kind of like it's it's unsure like what are the resources in the market and and the consumption is definitely something you you see, but um, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of like. Uh, e2.0. I, I think if things go well, uh, it will really be uh, quite in- interesting experience. Uh, and I, I think if, if e2.2 uh, and basically proof of stake will succeed, it actually doesn't remove the uh, side chains uh, and the other kind of like a layer two solutions at all. And even like people think about the whole uh, layer two or, or blockchains somehow like that they're competing, but actually they need each other. You you kind of don't want to have even liquidity in one network or use one. Uh, you're very happy to to uh, have liquidity in one place and, and liquidity in another network and diversify your risk and also kind of like uh, support different kinds of use cases. So I, I just think like uh, this is something that many uh, don't talk about, but I think it it just they're not competing against each other. So uh, with respect to kind of governance and and sort of moving forward, uh, you know, obviously we saw uh, comp and you know the shift from sort of a centralized to now a fully decentralized network with governance. Uh, you know, one of the most recent kind of exciting ones that people have been debating actually is uh, Wi-Fi. And so mm. I'm kind of wondering what your what your take is on that one. It's controversial. It's a very interesting token, and you know, obviously, it's purported to really only be there are thirty thousand units in existence, and you know, it's purported to be sort of a governance only mechanism, right? But at the same time, I think it doesn't. There doesn't appear to be another token that really represents the project value. So you know, at the moment, mm. it's about eighty million dollars worth of governance. So it's a it's a pretty interesting. Uh, uh, situation. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Like, um, and it, like uh, we've seen, like, look now, kind of like the good amount of governance token. I, I, I like the 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 fact that com- the compound compound is moving very quickly in terms of like all this shifted into decentralized governance. And of course, it's still um, most of the tokens are in the position of of their investors, so it will take a bit of time for them to. To kind of move away from that position and the governance become more decentralized because sure. I think the, the governance is like decentralized when uh, there is a basic proposal that the team uh, wants to uh, put in and and it's a kind of like debatable for some reason and then the the team doesn't have enough power to to vote for them and I, I think that's kind of like a good I- idea but also it doesn't matter because even if 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 Compound has a lot of uh, governance power. Uh, they will not do a decision that basically will hurt their protocol because that will affect the whole market capitalization. And that's something that we need to always uh, remember when it comes to this this uh, governance 
mechanism and, and game theories. Yeah, because, yeah, there's uh, an implicit yeah. proof of stake, obviously, you know. Exactly, exactly. And in terms of Wi-Fi, I, I think uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Like, interesting part of it is is kind of like that the, um, uh, that uh, Andre, the, the main developer, yes. so I, I really, what I like about this, this kind of like uh, idea is that um, he's shipping kind of like a code on a constant basis, and 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 basically then he ships for the this uh, token-based governance that basically then is is doing all the other work and and so forth related to that, and it has some amount of social capital involved in Andre's work, um, and and it's kind of like interesting to see like how 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 it will play out because like you you see something like. A bit of like Uniswap here in terms of like um, you have a develop one developer yep. who basically deployed some code and then it's immutable and now you have kind of 2.0 like you have one developer the token is is created people got it got the token now they're governing whatever Andre is creating there for that project and I, I think this will be very interesting to follow closely uh, and of course like being sole developer. Uh, has some advantage advantages there. Yeah, I mean, especially like if he gets other community involved into uh, helping in other parts and so forth. But uh, I, I I just see like the the Uniswap 2.0 thing here and getting a lot of traction that way. And yeah, I I, I, I like it. I honestly, I I really uh, I've been always a fan of of what Andre is doing and 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 basically. Uh, uh, I, I also like kind of like he, his um, style in sense of that he doesn't want anything uh, for for himself uh, in a way that basically many of the projects are thinking like well how do you incentivize let's say the founding theme or how do you incentivize like the idea is not to worry about that just focusing on shipping code and that's like something. Uh, uh, something really cool and yeah i think it's 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 very fascinating yeah he has he has a very kind of a pure style you know and i i really enjoy uh following him you know he talks about like uh, when he launched the governance token he said it has zero value the more recent one that i really enjoyed is he released some contracts and he said these are experimental don't put any money in them, right? Like it, it was a, it was just a very hilarious <laughs> statement, right? Like it's like here's contracts, you know, and of course people are going to, right? And so it's it's a very it's a very funny position to take, but I, I like it. I like how he sort of you know behaves. It's very it's very sort of straightforward. He's a very like straightforward person, which you know I think is is uh, refreshing. And I you know for me as a as a culture, or you know, and I, obviously he's a individual developer you know so I, I i'm just very much a fan i think it's a great a great way to do business and to really represent uh the the DeFi community you know at some level i think one of the things that is unfortunate is is that now that DeFi is trending you know there's such an opportunity to you know go on uh 4chan and you know start spamming your your new DeFi token and and you know there's so many kind of scammy ways to, to make money and, and yeah but the good part is I, I think like um if you remember like the 2017 and so forth like yeah uh, it's very hard to be DeFi with like 
and kind of like market as DeFi and not being DeFi because there's certain characteristics like involved, like the non-custodial part, yes. uh, the transparency on it, if, for example, in the Ethereum chain that is by default and, and basically the, the governance part. And there's so many things that are attached into it and, and they're like very serious characters. So kind of like it's very difficult for a project to launch something and, and basically call themselves DeFi. Yeah, if I, I, I agree. I agree. And, the, and what, uh, there's a whole many, there's so many measure measurements that are transparent, right? Like things like lock contract value, you know, so you can, you can start mm -hmm. to really like measure kind of value creation in with some fairly specific mechanisms that at least indirectly measure kind of total trust in, in these contracts. So a uh, quick question, which is, you know, uh, one of the big issues in DeFi that kind of slows the market down quite a lot is sort of audits and security auditing. So like, mm -hmm. what's your position on this? And, you know, how, how, how much effort is, is proper? Because, you know, obviously mm -hmm. different organizations have much different attitudes about, uh, you know, audit. Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of like um, like basically there's there's different kinds of procedures and and protocols that you, uh, you you follow before you go to mainnet. Depending on like what do you estimate in terms of usage, who are your users, and and what kind of uh, uh, response you're looking for. And I I think in case of Aave, um, we we basically did uh, a couple of audits, and then after that we. Uh, a big ones, and then we partnered with uh, a bigger auditor firm, basically to um, to to do kind of like an ongoing base basis of audit, uh, internal training, and and also which kind of, uh, uh, which firm are you working with? So basically, we're almost working with everyone. Uh, so currently, uh, yeah, our previous audit was Trails of Bits, Open Zeppelin, um, yep. Consensus Diligence did a couple of ones, and okay. Uh, so, uh, we're working also with uh, Certic, uh, Beckshield. Uh, great. Well, great. There, yeah, there's a lot. Of, like we we try to also like be very democratic, giving audit work. They're very expensive, but also sure. like we we don't want to give the work uh, to one or two firms. We try to kind of like spread around the work as much as possible, so we have Makes enough sense. like audit uh, quality in the industry. It's a small thing, and and kind of we. Um, I, I think it's just very good. And if there's any independent auditors, we really would like to support them. And that's something that uh, is quite important for the industry. Wonderful. And I, I think, yeah, there's different uh, things related to that. And also like one of the important parts is formal verification. So that is something we're doing quite uh, recently. So we, we basically uh, formally mathematically verify the code. So basically what kind of... Uh, uh, outputs a specific property can make and and base basically formal verification is something that is used quite often in, in when you develop software for for example uh, airplanes or uh, this kind of like mission critical space spaceship spaceship software for example uh, and nowadays even IOT and and kind of machinery so like very critical software uh, that's a very good thing to do. And then, but then like, it really depends. I mean, um, you might have uh, things like where you kind of like test, test in production, which is uh, Andres, uh, for example, uh, uh, kind of a tra trademark, but still uh, what many doesn't understand that he is very competent in, in security as well. Uh, even, I mean, uh, but still it's, it's not a 
guarantee. None of the audits are guarantees yeah, or even medical verification. I'm with you, right? Because if you look at things like formal verification, right, you're really mm. talking about a linearization across an operating range, right? And the operating yeah. ranges are actually the key because, yeah. you know, if something is exceeding tested ranges, then it becomes nonlinear, right? And and that's that's kind of, uh, so so, you know, ultimately, uh, the thing that I think is extremely complex about that kind of approach uh, when it comes to sort of verifying uh, proof of stake and economic activity is that really what happens is, is that you can't actually successfully define the game in which theoretically the actor is playing, right? Because the world is, is an open world system, right? So yeah. someone could easily participate in what appears to be self-destructive behavior but there may actually be some kind of an extraneous factor that you that you just haven't taken into account. So, yeah, and um, definitely, I, I think like one of the example was flash loans in in the like other protocol kind of like came to the market with flash loans, yeah. and then everyone was talking about it, and basically people started to use not just other flash loans but a bunch of other ones, and. Uh, some of them were used in attacks and an interesting part was kind of like people won't expect this kind of attack vectors like uh, people yeah. won't expect like who walks with let's say who could walk with 10 million uh, 20 million worth of eat or or something like that and just make a, this kind of like an arbitrary attack and this was available the attack was like there yes but with flash loans it became a, a, available to every developer yeah. <laughs> and that's the kind of like interesting part that now people are thinking and uh even recently i, I think one of andre's code was was subject to to kind of like this small flash loan uh gaming thing that basically he fixed but uh, it was like an interesting discovery as well and, and pretty actually cool you've mentioned about uh we mentioned this kind of black thursday event and you know you also mentioned uh you know uh the production of sort of synthetic assets with synthetic and and so i guess I, i'm curious uh what's your take on sort of the oracles problem you know what's your take on things like chain link and band protocol like what, how do you feel about sort of the state of DeFi oracle yeah i, I think um DeFi oracle state is somewhere like uh, I, I think chain we have been using chain link and they're pretty awesome okay. um like they uh, they really have a a kind of like a good vision of what what they what they're doing and a very good partner network and kind of broaden reliability. I really uh, like the other opportunities there. For example, uh, the the ban protocol is pretty interesting. Yep. And a bunch of other of the the uh, um, uh, kind of like uh, Oracle proposals. We ourselves run our own Oracle, so we have a backup Oracle. For right. example, if Chainlink Oracle isn't working and we want to basically just uh figure out as as much as like reinforceability as we can yeah uh, in terms of what we're using and i think the state of oracles is something which can be improved quite a lot uh, at the same way as as for example our lending protocol or other lending protocols or any DeFi protocols in the market could be improved chain uh, chain link or basically band protocol or uh, all of the oracles, like you, you definitely can improve what you're doing, uh, and that's like something that uh, all of them are working quite hard. Uh, it definitely takes time to kind of like get a better state, but uh, I think we're moving forward, and that's that's pretty 
pretty cool thing. It's always slow to develop on, on this kind of technology that we have. Uh, it always requires quite a lot of diligence. But end of the day, I'm, I, I think like they will only improve over time. That's fantastic. And I, you know, I appreciate, uh, you know, your, your answers are, are uh, very, very sort of, uh, you know, you're, you're taking a very mature approach to the market, uh, you know, and you're, you're not shooting from the hip. So I, I appreciate that, uh, you know, it characterizes your uh, organization well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very, it's good to see. So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, any, any final words of advice uh, for people studying this space? Like, you know, I think DeFi is extremely exciting. Uh, you know, you've created an incredibly powerful protocol. So, you know, a- any thoughts, any final words? Yeah, I do have. I do have, actually. Uh, uh, well, one, particularly, I would say that uh, I would recommend everyone to, to, um, to basically try to study as much as possible and learn. Uh, DeFi is not about actually using something. Uh, I think the usage is secondary. It's all more about education, learning. And it feels like sometimes that you, you, you as an end user, you, you don't need to learn or like it should be easy to you to, to kind of participate just only, but it, it, it will be too easy. I mean, like we're, when we are participating banking system, uh, using computers, doing whatever, we're always like learning something. And there is a particular learning curve in DeFi uh, about like what, what does it mean? Like basically having smart contract, the non-custodial aspect. And those are things that are worth to kind of like explore and learn how they work, how the protocols work. And I, I think when everyone takes that learning curve, uh, we're much better state in adoption uh, because we have more people to actually telling like what's right and what's not. And that distinguishing element is very important as we go further. That's fantastic and very wise words, obviously. Uh, I think it was Thomas Jefferson in the United States who suggested that an educated population was necessary in order to establish democracy. So, you know, I think it's very, very much parallel thinking, which is that, you know, if people aren't participating, then decentralizing the governance actually makes less and less sense, right? If, if people yeah, are actually, exactly. if they're ignorant, they don't care. They don't actually know they're voting on the wrong things for the wrong reasons. You know, obviously, you know, that that's a, that's a big deal. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure and, uh, you know, really looking forward to seeing uh, your network updates, uh, especially sort of this uh, big upcoming one. So that I think that's going to be a big thing for the community. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Miko. It was uh, very, very uh, fun to be here. Terrific. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much.